0: Father, I thank you for Jesus. The God this day and every day for all eternity is changed because of Jesus. And Lord, it's our joy to say there's no one like Christ. Father, no one can save, no one can rescue, no one can redeem, no one can raise us to new life like Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified in our hearts worshiped praised through us today turn our eyes to jesus and father we know we are not the only church in town and so we thank you for those churches like this that are gathering in places like this to celebrate the very same jesus the very same gospel the very same resurrection power and lord our prayer is that not only would you meet with us But God, be among your churches. Raise us up with resurrection power. And I pray for every church that gathers in this community that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus till Jesus comes again. Bring a great awakening in our day. Visit us. That is our prayer. Raise us in the resurrection power of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue a series we've been in for the last couple of weeks and will be in for who knows how long on the gospel according to Mark. And since some of you may not have been with us over the last couple of weeks, Let me catch you up on a little bit of context for the message today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. The universe was completely obedient to the governing rule of God, which meant there were no politicians. So it was all really, really good. And the crown jewels of God's creation were a husband and wife, Adam and Eve. As the first parents of humanity, Adam and Eve occupied a very special place in God's creation. They were made uniquely in the image of God himself. Here's what that meant. It meant they could relate to God in a unique and intimate way like nothing else in creation. But it also meant that they could represent God in his creation. They were his image bearers, his representatives on this earth. And that's actually exactly what God told them to do. At some point, maybe today, you could go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the scene of the Garden of Eden. In verse 28, God, at the beginning of creation, commands Adam and Eve to be part of his dominion or his rule in this world. I would just think about that. Even though God is the king of the universe and was already completely governing a completely obedient universe, his desire still was that he would share his dominion, that he would share his rule with the people that he made to to represent him. You see, not only did God want a creation, God wanted a kingdom, a kingdom that would cover this whole entire world where we as people would reign with God And in that moment, when that was the case, God said, not only is it good, he said, it is very good, until it wasn't. You see, the enemy of God came into the Garden of Eden and said that there was a better way than God's way. He told Eve that she could become like God if she would simply just choose to go in a direction that God had commanded her not to go. And you all know the story. Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Adam followed her lead and absolutely everything changed in this world and the repercussions were felt throughout the entire universe. It seemed that the enemy of God had staged a coup of God's kingdom at the very beginning. And literally every human being on planet earth seemed to be his accomplice and the result was tragic. Although God was still God, a kingdom of darkness now invaded this world. And since our first parents had chosen to be on the wrong side, that meant that their sinful rebellion was part of human nature. They passed that on to all of us. But in that dark scene at the very beginning of the Bible, we find that God is rich in mercy and love. And he comes to Adam and Eve and the enemy. And there in Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise. He promises that one day he would send a new man, a new kind of man into this world. This new man would defeat forever the enemy of God and restore God's order to this world. Then as you go through the rest of the Old Testament... You find that God makes more and more promises about this new man, this new restorer. He would be a savior who would redeem people from their fallenness and their darkness, from the power and penalty of sin. He would be a king whose kingdom would not be susceptible to fall ever again, an eternal kingdom that would be filled with peace and joy and abundant life. Literally a kingdom stronger than death and sin and hell itself. And for the people who lived for thousands of years, knowing those promises of God, the question in their mind was this, when, when When will the promised king finally come? When will he set up this eternal kingdom? When will our enemy be defeated and destroyed? And When will we be saved and redeemed and restored? When? That was the question. For thousands of years in the hearts of human beings who'd heard the promises of God. And that brings us to our text in Mark this Easter Sunday morning. A few weeks ago, as we were looking at this, we see Jesus is emerging on the scene of the world stage. And we've seen him be baptized. We've seen him be tempted. But in our text, we see the first words of Jesus that Mark, by the Holy Spirit's power, chooses to record. And they're monumental words, guys. They're huge with their implication. They actually answer the question God's people had been asking since the Garden of Eden, when will the promised king arrive? And with that, let's look at our text in Mark chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 14. It says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Stop right there. As Jesus begins his public ministry on earth, he begins with these first words that are just rich with meaning. I want to go, I'm going to go through them one at a time. He says, they're the good news. They're the gospel. And what is the good news? What's the gospel from God? The first thing he says is the time is fulfilled. Guys, when Jesus says that he's going all the way back to the garden of Eden, And he's talking about promises that have stretched all the way through the Old Testament. He's he's saying this, the time has come for God's promises to be fulfilled. Friends, all of God's promises to humanity in this world are fulfilled in no one but Jesus Christ alone. And when Jesus emerges on the scene, he says, it's come. The time for the promises of God to be fulfilled by me. And then he says the next thing, the kingdom of God is at hand. That phrase at hand refers to something being close enough that you can literally reach out and touch it. You know, in our house, we have a, uh, we have a deep mystery of the universe we encounter on a regular basis in our home. Maybe you can identify with it Um, Every time we go to watch television, no one can find the remote control. I don't know how it happens. We don't even have buttons on our TV, so the last time it was watched, in order to turn it off, you had to have the remote at that time, but then we come back around to try and turn it off. Nobody can find the remote. We have have remote control fairies that show up at our house. It's actually kind of scary if you think about it, but we, we can't keep our hands on this blasted remote, but we do have a hint. We have kind of a first place that we look anytime we're looking for the remote. You see, the first place we go is the chair that my son Logan always sits in. You see, since he was a child, he's been obsessed with being the controller of the controller. He he has to have the remote near enough to touch or he breaks into hives in our living room. You could say, my son Logan always wants the remote to be at hand. He wants it close enough that he can touch it. And that's the concept that Jesus has in mind when he says that phrase, the kingdom of God is that close. As he begins this earthly ministry, his message, his good news to people is this. The time has come, the kingdom of God is close enough that you can reach right out and touch it. Uh, That begs the question, how, how can Jesus... Say the kingdom of God's close enough you can literally touch it. Well, this last Tuesday evening, I was part of an awesome Bible study that's part of our, our, our church family, and I asked that question. How could Jesus say the kingdom of God is close enough to touch? And there's one guy who might be a future Bible scholar that was there in that group, and he said this, because the king is standing right in front of their noses. And I love that. That's exactly right. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God had come to earth because he is the king who is God in the flesh. He's the king who is able to save people from their sin. He's the king who's able to restore order to this upside down world. He's the king who can renew the peace and joy and abundant life that was stolen in the Garden of Eden. Listen, friend, the kingdom of God exists wherever Jesus Christ is acknowledged to be The king. And that actually helps us understand what he says next. He says, therefore, then repent. That word repent simply means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And remember what happened at the dawn of creation in the Garden of Eden. The first sin occurred when Eve decided to go in a direction that God had said not to go. She went her own way as though she could be her own little G God. And in our sin that was passed to us from our first parents, you may not know this, but humanity's been heading the wrong way ever since. Here's a little bit of proof. Recently, NBC News conducted a poll and found that 71% of Americans think Our nation is heading in the wrong direction. And the other 29% were just plain wrong. You see, since the Garden of Eden, the whole world has been heading in the wrong direction. No matter when you take that poll and no matter who you ask, the truth is we've been going the wrong way since the Garden of Eden. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the promised king who can restore order to this fallen universe. And he says, so then, have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Stop thinking you're your own king. Stop doing life your own way. Stop following after the course of this world and start following a new king. The only king, the king whose name is Jesus. And, and that's what I take him to mean then by the last phrase there in verse 15. And believe in the gospel. If the gospel that Jesus says is good news is that the kingdom is at hand because Jesus is king, then I take him to be saying when he, he says repent and believe, to be saying believe the gospel, believe that I am your King, your rescuer, your redeemer. Okay, so right here out of the chute, Mark presents this earth, earthly ministry of Jesus. He, he brings us Christ's message that he's the king of God's kingdom and that he's calling the whole world, including you and me, to believe that he's king and then live like he's king, have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And then with that in mind, it really makes sense what Mark does next by the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins to tell some stories about the authority of King Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 16. It says, "'Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, "'He, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, "'casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. "'And Jesus said to them, "'Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men.'" And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Stop right there. As Jesus begins his kingdom mission, as he's declaring to the world, have a change of mind. Have a change of direction. Live as though I'm your king. You find now he walks by the Sea of Galilee. He spots two brothers, Simon, whom we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. And I love how the Holy Spirit leads Mark to record this account. It's just simple. It's straightforward. He actually leaves out all of the details that are part of Luke's gospel. And he just has Jesus approaching these men on this seashore, simply saying, Hey, guys. Follow me. Walks a little further down, sees a couple other brothers, James and John. Hey guys, follow me. Do you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't draw them a map and say, here are all the places that we'll be going. Do you want to follow me? He doesn't spell out for them everything that's going to happen. He doesn't write up an offer sheet that has a compensation package with some fringe benefits. Hey, guys, I'll multiply all your fish sandwiches from here on out for free. Just follow me. He doesn't do that, does he? He just comes right up to them and commands them, follow me. Drop what you're doing and follow me. And what do they do? They drop what they're doing. They drop their nets. They leave their family of origin. They uproot every significant thing about their lives, and they follow Jesus. What's Mark telling us about the authority of Jesus? Well, the first thing he's telling us is this. Jesus has authority over our entire lives. Guys, when Jesus calls us to repent and believe that He is king, He's calling us to live like He has absolute authority over all of our lives. He means that we would surrender our will to His. That we go where he tells us to go. We would do what he tells us to do. Guys, to repent and believe that Jesus is king means you do marriage and parenting and school and citizenship the way Jesus says you should because you believe Jesus is your king and has the right to tell you how to live. It means your college your career, your family, your money, your sexuality, your free time, your hobbies, your political views, your thought life, your priorities, need I go on, your entire life is laid down before Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my king. I live like you have authority over me. And friends, it's a good reminder on this Easter Sunday that that's the defining difference between biblical true Christianity and the American cultural Christianity many of us have grown up knowing. You see, in our nation, there are many people who consider themselves to be Christians so long as they have a favorable view of Jesus. They think being a Christian simply means that you acknowledge that Jesus was a great teacher, maybe the greatest teacher, that he was a great example, maybe the greatest example, that he was a great leader, maybe the greatest leader. And friends, simply put, Jesus is absolutely the greatest teacher and example and leader in all of human history. But can I tell you something? Jesus is more than that. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh He's the king of heaven and earth and your and my life. And his call to us this morning is clear. Have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that starts when you bow your life down as your king, your Lord, relinquishing your whole life to him. Let me just put that another way for us. We have no reason to believe that we are a follower of Jesus if we aren't following Jesus as our king. So let me ask you what needs to change about your life For you to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction so that you would live today, tomorrow, and until Jesus comes again, like he has the authority to tell you how to live. That's not all we see in our text, though. Verse 16, again, notice what he says here. He says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew The brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Notice this next phrase for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see it there in verse 16, Mark makes sure that we know that these are fishermen. He's giving us their identity, this is who they were which defined then what they did every day of their lives. You go to Peter, you go to you go to John, you go to James or Andrew, you say, what are you? They say, I am a fisherman. I am a fisherman, the son of a fisherman. That's who I am. It defines what I do. And Jesus has the audacity to go up to these guys at their workplace and say, You're going to be something different than you've always been. You notice how they do what they do? They drop their nets. As though they're not going to need them anymore. Why? Because they believe that Jesus has the authority and ability to take what they've been and to make them something new. He's claiming to be able to change what they are. And that's the second thing we learn about the authority of Jesus. Not only does King Jesus have authority over our entire life. King Jesus has authority over our identity. And guys, I know the word identity is a hot-button word in our world today. Our world's just buzzing with that word, with this idea of personal identity. And without getting into all of the weeds on that conversation, the primary argument that our world is having is an argument that centers around the claim that individuals should have the autonomy and the authority To define their own identity. That's at the core of the conversation. And I hope you notice that when Jesus steps on the stage of this world, He comes to His first disciples and in His initial words to them, He tells them up front That there's only one person who has the authority and autonomy to choose their identity, and his name is Jesus. In other words, Jesus says, you are what I will make you to be. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done... No, mat- what, no matter what others may say about you, no matter how you feel, no matter how you woke up yesterday, today, or tomorrow, you are what I will make you to be. And guys, that doesn't just mean a man or a woman, even though that's certainly part of the equation. That's not what I'm referring to. What I, I mean is that Jesus says he has made you to be something, and you are what Jesus says you are. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, that means if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and God and King, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friend, when you bow before Jesus as King, there's good news. You become a brand new creation. What was broken at the fall, at the first creation, now receives a recreation in Jesus. And you are now who Jesus says you are. And that begs the question, who does Jesus say we are when we trust in him? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. He says that you're a citizen of God's kingdom. And that means then that your primary identity is not as an American or a Democrat or a Republican. It's as a citizen of heaven itself. He says we're children of God, so our primary identity isn't defined by our families of origin and all their dysfunction. It's defined by our God, who is our Father. He says that we're heirs of God. So our primary identity isn't how much earthly wealth that we have or don't have. It's what our Father God will give to us in eternal treasure. Jesus says we're ambassadors of God, so our primary identity isn't working for Temporary or temporal causes. It's representing God's kingdom and gospel to those who don't know Jesus. He says we're wanted and accepted by God. So our primary identity isn't whether or not people want us or accept us, or like us, or love us. It's that God Almighty wants us, and accepts us, and likes us, and loves us through Jesus. Friend, when you lay your life down before King Jesus, you're a new creation. You are who Jesus says you are. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. You are a saint. You are the beloved of God the Father. You are His child. Heaven is your home and glory is your destiny. Why? Because King Jesus says it's so. He has authority over your entire life. He has authority over your identity. And and as every good infomercial says, uh, wait, there's more. I want to show you another part of authority that we see in Jesus before we go. Look at how Mark goes into another story in verse 21. It tells us another layer of King Jesus' authority. Verse 21 says this, And they, that little band of disciples with Jesus, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Stop right there. After Jesus calls his first disciples, displays his authority over their lives and their identity, he then leads them to a local synagogue, a place where the Jews would have gathered to be taught about God. And he he teaches them, it says, as one who has authority. You know why Jesus can teach the book of God with authority? Because Jesus wrote it. He's God, right? So he has authority in his teaching in a way that only the author of the word of God can have. And as he's teaching, there's a man there who's possessed by a demonic spirit. And that demonic spirit recognizes Jesus to be the holy one of God, to be the son of God, to be God in the flesh. And notice, just for this morning, I want you to notice what that demon fears It fears that Jesus has come to destroy. It says, us. That's talking about the other demons, the armies of darkness. So the question we should ask is, why would the demons who are part of the army of darkness, led by God's enemy, Satan himself, fear that Jesus had come to destroy them? You want the answer? Because he did. (laughs) Because he came to destroy the forces of darkness in this world. That's the final thing we see about the authority of Jesus. Jesus has authority over our enemy. Friend, Jesus came to this earth to defeat the power of Satan and of hell of sin, of death itself. And at the cross of Christ, not only was Jesus giving himself as a sacrifice to pay for our sin, he was also fighting against the powers of hell and the captain of hell's host, Satan himself. And for a moment, it looked like the enemy had won the day. There at the cross, King Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, died under the weight of our sin and was laid in a borrowed tomb. And on the darkest day in the history of this world, the creator of heaven and earth was lifeless in a tomb. And it appeared that the enemy who had slithered into the garden at the dawn of creation would be victorious at the end of the world's darkest day. Or so it appeared. But up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose and is alive and well today. Because King Jesus has authority over the powers of hell, over Satan, over the armies of darkness, over death, over the grave, over a world gone mad turned upside down. And when he calls us to repent... And have a change of mind. What he's calling us to do is to live like we believe that he is stronger than the enemy of our soul. You know what that means for you today? It means you don't have to live in fear in this world gone crazy. You don't have to live in anxiety about the darkness of this age. You don't have to cower in defeat You don't have to dread even death itself. You know why? The enemy is defeated. The sting of death is removed. King Jesus has already won the victory. And he's given it to the people of his kingdom. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. But the very worst this old world can do to you is to take your life. But if you're trusting in Jesus... You got a one-way ticket to paradise, man. Why would we fear what man can do to us when our king has won the day? Your future is glorious and it's secure. Why? Because Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. That's it right there, right? That's the best singing I got. I think I nailed it. I gotta be honest. Hope we got that old tape. (laughs) The question for us then on this morning is this. Not whether or not Christ has come. Not whether or not Christ has died. Not whether or not Christ has risen. And not whether or not Christ is coming again. The question for us today is, are you living like Jesus has authority and victory over our enemy? Are you living today with hope for your future and peace in your present? Are you looking to the cross and the empty tomb and the beautiful sky that will one day split when Jesus comes again because King Jesus is alive and well and reigning on his throne on high and is coming again for you and me and a kingdom that will never pass away so brothers and sisters friends and family let the good news of the gospel of God change your heart this Easter morning our glorious king has come and he is a king with all power and authority so turn to him in faith have a change of mind you aren't your own king No one is but Jesus and believe his good news in a way that would cause you to follow him out of this room for the rest of your life until Jesus comes again. And that's our big idea this Easter morning. King Jesus has authority over our life, our identity, and our enemy. So follow him until Jesus comes again. Would you bow your heads in prayer? As we close this time of study, I want to just begin by asking you, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you've never had a change of heart about Jesus, where you've seen him as more than a great teacher, more than a good example the greatest leader, you've actually seen him as Lord and Savior, your personal King. If that's never occurred in your heart right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Just in prayer quietly between you and God, would you acknowledge that you've sinned against God and you can't make yourself right? Pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, I believe You lived the life I have failed to live, a perfect life. Jesus, I believe you died the death I deserve to die as the payment for my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you rose again and will raise me up to a brand new life by your power. Jesus, you're my king. Give me strength to follow you. If you pray that prayer of faith, it's not the words of the prayer, but the faith in Christ that saves our soul. Praise Jesus for saving you. And some of you would say, I am trusting in Jesus. The question is, is there a place in your life where King Jesus is calling you to follow him? and You have yet to take that step. Would you ask Jesus for power right now? For humble faith to obey him. That your life would reflect that you have a king and it isn't you. It's Jesus. Father, we praise you for Christ. And Lord, on this resurrection morning, it is good for us to be reminded that our great King Jesus has authority over all things in heaven and earth. But Lord, I pray you would spare us from the self-deceit and blindness that would acknowledge that truth but live as though we are our own kings. God, help us, I pray, to bow before Jesus and in humble faith and obedience follow him, not by our own strength, but by his resurrection power at work in us through your spirit. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, as our king, has authority over our entire life, over our entire identity, and over the entire forces of darkness in this world. And may we follow him till he comes again or calls us home. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may want to talk or pray with a pastor or prayer partner about your relationship with Jesus. We're going to sing a final song. And at the end of that song, our pastors, our prayer partners will be down front. Do not leave this place today until you are sure that Jesus is your Savior and heaven is your home. And that your heart is fully following after him. But Right now, would you join me in standing? Let's lift our voices in a final song of praise to our King, whose name is Jesus. See Him there, the great
1: I Am, a crown of thorns upon His head, the Father's heart displayed for the
2: so we stand here not in defeat for we stand in his victory which is secured and that redemption story that was written long ago is still as effective and as real today why because his redemption story is written on your life and your life and in my life so let's let that story be known Let's let that story be heard. Let's not keep that story silent within our lives, but let His name be the only name that we proclaim. Let His life be the only life that we follow, so that this world could see a light that they've never seen before. That they would hear a word that they need to hear, and that they would be experience a hope that we know. Amen amen we are so glad that you're here if you're visiting with us please come down at the end i want to invite our pastors and our prayer partners to come down now as um, we just want to meet you so you can bring down that registration card if you would like to and just a reminder next sunday is a yet another sunday that we love is hello my name is so be ready next sunday morning when you come in you're going to get a name tag Everybody gets a name tag, and you finally get to know the name of the person that has sat beside you every single week. It is a great, great day. Let's go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us a moment that we can come before you. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to wait a year for Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we thank you that it's not just one time a year, and it's not even one time a week. But Lord, every day is Resurrection Day because your life is is real, and it's strong, and it's mighty, and it is everlasting. And right now, as you sit at the right hand of the Father, the resurrected King, Lord, we say thank you for writing that testimony of our lives. And may your testimony, may your name be the only name that others see and hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed.